0: Welcome back to another episode of 12 Rows Back. We bring you footy talk from the fans' perspective, um, actually operating solo tonight as Tom is getting married very soon, uh, taking a little bit of his attention away from footy, but fair enough, uh, look, weddings they only happen once in life, so uh, he's got the wedding and honeymoon coming up, but it's all set so he's back for footy season as a uh, diehard Saints fan. I think that was always on the cards for Tom, so... Good luck to Tom and the lovely Beck. First things first, I've seen the AFL's reported a loss of 22.8 million last season in the COVID affected uh, year that we had, obviously, with one round played and then the shutdown for three months. Shortened season, shortened rounds, no crowds to a fair number of games. Look, initially when this happened, they were talking 500 million. Eddie said. It could have been a billion dollars. You know, it could have killed the industry. To come out with a twenty two point eight million loss is is pretty good for a business that size. Now, you know, to you and me, twenty two point eight million would be a hell of a lot of money, probably more money than we'll see in a lifetime. Uh but to the AFL, it's a drop in the ocean and I will tell you why. I've done a quick little search on the internet and found in 2019, they had a surplus of $27.9 million. Now, my resident uh, tax expert has told me quite often when they report a surplus rather than a profit, it's used for non-profit organizations. And look, I think we all know the AFL is not operating as a non-profit. Um, but the fact they had a surplus there means net over the last two years, uh, they're positive $5 million, which you know should go all right. Um, I haven't seen the full report from the AFL this time round. I've just seen it sort of starting to hit um, hit through various news outlets today. Uh, but you know, Channel Seven reporting here, they stood down eighty five percent of employees and took brutal cost cutting measures. Um, and obviously, all 18 clubs were forced to axe hundreds of jobs. And I know certain I, I know people who were stood down, put back to job keeper. Um, you know, but the way the footy clubs work is you're still expected to do a lot of the work so if you think about it from a point of view of the way the clubs operate they have their set hours but all the players are expected to maintain the professional standards at all time when they're away from the club and I know for things like recruiters and and planning and all that sort of stuff they were stood down but still had to go through all the steps to make sure the club was right come the you know, for the recruiters come the draft time and, and for management and social media and all that, they still had to be there ready to go. So um, I really hope that in minimising the losses, the AFL weren't just hitting, you know, the the people who run the footy clubs and, and help make the footy clubs what they are. Um, I, I think it's really unfair to to ask them to, to bear the brunt of the cost. We know some of the executives make a fair chunk of change and I'd like to think that was cut into. Um, but given we found out last week um, Meatloaf was paid somewhere in the vicinity of five to $600,000, um, you know, the AFL can burn through some cash pretty quickly as it needs to. Oh, I hate to think if they paid Wolf Mother money to play at that, uh, play at the grand final last year when you've got people struggling. Um, you know, people stood down from jobs that they do year in year out, and that's what props up the the industry. Not having this this one big finale, grand final, uh, extravaganza where you know we just need to have the entertainment to try and match the Super Bowl. Uh, so look, I think I think the AFL's done really well out of that. Um, obviously they'd be expecting things to go back up this year given they're planning for their full 22 rounds hopefully the Melbourne lockdown is just the initial reported five days from our great man Dan Andrews Uh, I say that with a little tongue in cheek Um, because if that starts going any longer that starts to affect the season and now you start looking at hubs for, for Melbourne teams and as you all know listening to to me we have a lot of teams in Melbourne probably too many and if they all have to start hubbing that again compromises the integrity of the season uh, and and starts to change things in ways that while it was great they did it last year to get a season away I would rather have teams playing at Melbourne at the MCG, at Marvel Stadium, um, games back in Tassie, all that sort of stuff that that we didn't have last year Um, and I personally don't see a reason why it can't happen but if the government decides we have another lockdown, there's not a lot we can do. Um, but all reports today, Dan, Dan said we're on the right track. So I won't dive too deep into politics here. That's not my forte. Uh, but I I, um, I really hope we get much more of a normal season with 22, 22 rounds and obviously a bye or two in there. Now, in other news, we put out we released our team rankings, obviously we, we spoke about them last week and, and put them out into the social media stratosphere. Now, I've had one comment from a young man named Julian who's declared that I have no idea Um, and I'd love to know, like I, I did ask him, I didn't quite get a response, I'd love to know exactly what I have no idea about because I'm telling you, you may well be right but let's debate whether... This particular thing I have no idea about. Now, I'm just going to go out on a limb, and I think, or I have confirmed, thanks to my co-host, you are a St Kilda man, and I've got the Saints sitting in ninth. Now, I think Saints fans are expecting a big year. I think they should rightfully expect a big year, but I had to pull someone out of the eight. I think I actually dropped... Did I drop... I dropped two teams out of the eight, I believe. I... I've got Freo and GWS in there who didn't play in there last year, and I've got Collingwood out, and of yeah, Collingwood and St Kilda out. So I pulled two teams out, put two teams in. Did have the same top four, so that might be a, you know, uh, the more I think about it, the more I probably expect some sort of change there. Um, but just, just looking, looking at big picture, I didn't rate the Saints end to the year as strongly as a lot of their fans did. And that might be harsh, but just looking at some of the results, especially towards the back half of the year, lost to Brisbane by two points. If Brisbane kicked straight, that could have been a hell of a lot more. Lost to Melbourne by three points, had the bye, beat Hawthorne by fourteen points, and we all know Hawthorne aren't going too well. Um, Probably expecting a a bit of a going through a bit of a rebuild there. Um, Ex and Kilda player Ben McAvoy named captain, interestingly enough. They declared he was going to be a future captain of the Saints and obviously traded him, and he's gone on to be a captain. Uh, Lost to West Coast by 15 points. Um, That was played in Brisbane, where West Coast have a look, a terrible record. Um, And then belted the Giants in the last round of the year where the Giants were sort of just about done um, and obviously did well beat beat the Dogs in, in the first final there at, at the Gabba and, and lost to the eventual Premier's Richmond so look I just thought they started running out of steam towards the back half of the year and if you're playing a 22 round season you, you're dropping out of the 8 like if that form continued you start dropping out of the 8 you can't you get get to play a final, you start pumping yourself up and, and things sort of change with that reset, especially with that unnecessary buy before the first week of the finals. So, look, I, I guess to put a caveat on it, we've had to slot every single team into a spot on the ladder. Really hard to do, like really hard to do and... If you look at that, how many do you expect me to get right? Like 100% right in their position. If I've got four 100% right, I'd say I'm doing pretty well. If I get six to eight, I'd be doing exceptionally well and probably should have had a little wager there. Um, And I should probably say I could see the Saints finishing between that five and eight spot and playing finals again this year. Um, I've just put it together and had them out. Now... I think putting Frio in was potentially a bit of a stretch. I just really liked what I saw from Justin Longmuir and the team up there uh, last year. And and to get some more games into some of the youngsters, I I think they're going to be a side on the improve. And I put GWS in the 8 purely because they just still have too much talent on that list to stay down. Um, But ultimately, that's a lot of guesswork. I'll be the first to admit it, I stand by my rankings, absolutely stand by my rankings, and I would be, in the first week, I'll be betting, like those rankings, are the current ladder positions, so um, I've got Port right up there and North way down, so I'll be having a little something on Port, and I'd also look at having a little something on the Bombers, now, I've got the Bombers and the Hawks right around the same ranking, you could probably split them in my head, uh, but... The Bombers are 225 Outsiders and the Hawks are favourites and I just can't believe... I just see it as a a it could-go-either-way game, so take a little bit of value there. Uh, Now, one of the more interesting rankings Tom had in his list was having the Cats down sitting 7th on the ladder. Now, in case you live under a rock, they have recruited arguably the best key forward in the comp in Jeremy Cameron. Added Isaac Smith for a bit of run on the outside. And and from my Roo boys, they've added Sean Higgins, who is just a classy individual. So from my point of view, I had them ranked as top because they they were right there last year and they've added three absolute star players. They could be all finished within 18 months, but I still think they've all got at least this year a footy left and that's what the rankings were based on. Um, I think far too often in this competition in this day and age we look to the future and you've got to be looking to the future and the kids and all that stuff and look the flags are that bloody hard to win if you can get yourself in the position Geelong have you might as well load up and try and grab another one um I I can say I thought they were very easy to win in my youth because North Melbourne obviously had a great period through the 90s and uh we ain't seen much since so I really commend Geelong and, and I'd think Tom was barking mad having them at 7th. Having said that, you look at the injury report and Jeremy Cameron's got a hamstring complaint that he should be right for. Dangerfield's been going back and forth from Adelaide, I just read. Uh, Mitch Duncan won't be playing round one, so injuries could derail them 100%. Will it be enough to derail their season to the point where they're just barely scraping into the finals like that? I doubt it. Uh, I've always maintained Geelong, while it's great to be able to play your games at Skilled Stadium, it is one of the Sorry, GMHBA, sorry, sponsors. Um, Obviously, they don't sponsor us, but we try and get it right here. That's the biggest false economy in the AFL in terms of home grounds because Geelong get to play down there and they play it so well. And and, Imagine being Brisbane, flying down. It's a two-hour flight. You've got to get to the airport, stop, fly down, get off. Then you've got to get on a bus that might take you an hour, hour and a half to get down to the ground. It's a fair trip. Um, But come the finals... They don't ever get to play a final down there. In fact, they finally got one and Frio rolled them. So to to have this home ground where you play 11... Oh sorry, they play about 7 to 8 games and they've got 3 at the, the MCG, which baffles me, but anyway. Uh, they, pl- they play these games down there. They're never going to get the home final down there, but they might win an extra 2 games through the year because they played down there versus at the G or at Marvel. And... There have been years, sort of in the last sort of five, six, seven years, where they've won fourteen, fifteen games, but really they were only a twelve, thirteen win team, and they've got found out in the, in the finals, and it's gone against Chris Scott's finals record, which, I mean, I guess is fair enough, but they're not. They weren't the Geelong of twenty seven to two thousand eleven, where you just expected them to win, win comfortably, and, and it'd be really tough to get even close to them. So, I really think Tom's gone on a limb there, but injuries can derail any team, absolutely any team. Uh, now, speaking of injuries, that is just about the only real significant news that can be reported out of a football club at this time of year. We've all heard that he's flying, he's had the best preseason yet, you know, he's killing it in the time trials, and all that stuff means diddly squat. But injury reports can make or break a season. At this point of the year, um, I, I really rate Sydney. I think Sydney did a lot of things right last year, but got a lot of games into the youngsters, and I think they can continue to build on that, and they really needed to. They've had a little bit of turnover in the list in terms of the older players, but if Buddy plays and plays well for the year, I can see them playing finals. I just don't think he's going to get his body right, and it sounds like he's in doubt for round one. Now, this report's a few days old, but he suffered a minor setback on his road to recovery. He hasn't been seen at senior level since round 23, 2019. Uh, look, you are what you are, not what you think you might be. And unfortunately for Lance, he's just at that age where he's having a lot of soft tissue injuries. And I hate to say it, but it looks like his career is done. His career as an explosive uh, key forward, best forward of the modern era for mine really since you know the big names of Lockett, Dunstall, Ablett in the 90s but he got to 300 and I I, look he I hope he gets back on the park and play some games this year he won't be at his brilliant best but if he's on the park you have to have a defender behind him and in front of him and that is sometimes that's all you need in a key forward no there have been plenty of forwards you know I'll throw a name like Quinton Lynch not a talented footballer by any stretch but he'd lead hard he'd work hard you had to play someone on him and because he was so big and strong you sort of had to have another guy coming in to help now I don't recall him taking big lots of big pack marks and kicking bags but you need those bodies there to then make the ball fall and and create opportunities create some chaos down there put some pressure on the defense that's exactly what Mason Cox does he is well, champion dart, I think he might be elite, but I, I beg to differ. He is a huge body and you have to play someone on him. And, and as my old man used to tell me, the uh, you, you get tired as the day goes on. The, the fast players tire, but the tall players don't get any shorter. So they can have an impact all day long and you got to put someone there. I really hope that Lance gets out there and can contribute, uh, but... My That's what my heart's telling me. My head is telling me his career is over. Obviously, he's still under contract. I think there's two more years left of that monster deal because he would have won the 2013 flag and then switched over to Sydney and he obviously lost the, that grand final with Sydney. So, there's still a couple of years left on that deal and the AFL will not let Sydney recant on that and, and try and renegotiate, which is just bizarre. It's, it's not a quality. It's the AFL trying to control things, but... Uh, they obviously have the money tied up there, Sydney. And and look, it may not be the worst thing in the world for them just to have another year developing with those kids. And then you're going to see them get another 20 games in. And then you're going to see in this year, maybe after next, you're going to see this big contract go off the books. They can pay some to these kids. They can bring in a couple of veterans. Uh, They can really start challenging for something um, in the not-too-distant future. Looking at some other injuries, we'll we'll move over to the Saints. I can talk freely about the Saints without being jumped all over today. Uh, they have Zach Jones has hurt his hamstring again, which I think is the fifth time in two years. Now that's not a good sign for for Saints fans. That's if you have a recurring injury like that, and I'm not sure if it's the same hamstring or different legs, but obviously five times, unless it's the same one five times, he's done both. Uh, that's really gonna impact your ability to have a really strong season and I thought he was a great addition to the Saints when they picked him up. He just hasn't been able to stay quite fit and get in the park. We obviously know Hannibury's had issues uh and and he's on he's on big money there so obviously you'd sort of want to see you wanna see a little bit more coming out of him. Um well done to Jack Steele being named New St Kilda co captain. And he'll effectively be the sole captain for the initial part of the season with Jaron Geary dealing with that leg injury. Uh, look, it's a good honour for, for Steele. He was obviously the best and fairest winner last year, All-Australian, had a great year um, and was voted in by his peers effectively, the players in St Kilda's broader football department voted on the leadership group. And from there, they took their recommendations to the board and, and i I don't think the board's really ever gone against the, the playing group's decision in, in that sort of instance. But uh, I think I think it's a positive step for the Saints. Jaron Geary is probably not going to be playing for too many more years. And Jack Steele was an out-and-out star last year. Uh, should be really proud of the year. I hope the captaincy, he takes it in stride and just adds to his already impressive game. Uh, but I... I I hope it's not one of those situations where the player gets the captaincy and is burdened by it and, and suddenly has to worry about all these other things, which I don't think it will be, but it's just something you sort of need to consider at times with these things. Um, there was Travis Boat was probably a good example of... He was named captain of port and, and he, he was a great footballer. And then he just seemed to not, he'd be at his brilliant best. And the captaincy's obviously gone and he was... Well, he's right there in the finish with the Brownlow last year. So, I think uh, I, I think it can have a negative effect on players, but in this instance, I don't think it'll be too much of an issue. Now, I want to just shift the focus to Hawthorne here. Now, Jack Gunston is still de- he's dealing with a back issue with a bulging disc. Uh, the typical recovery is four to five months. This was reported back in December, but it takes round one off the cards. And most likely, probably the first four, six, eight weeks of the season, you don't want to you don't want to rush anything back when you're dealing with the back. It's uh, something you got to get right, and if you get it wrong, you can be in for a world of pain, lifelong pain. Sicily's recovering from the ACL. We won't see him for a while, and Patton's taking some extended time away from the club. They're three pretty big figures in terms of the structure of a football team, and. I don't know who Hawthorne really have who can step up and really perform. There's obviously going to be a good opportunity for a few youngsters there. But, I mean, Sicily was... He has games where he looks like an Australian. He has games where he looks like a bit of a peanut. But overall, he's a really solid player for them. Gunston's been doing it for years. And Patton, while being plagued by injury, is still a key component to that Hawthorne side, who, let's face it, is not so much rebuilding, but... They're on the decline from their their golden era and they need new players coming in, not these players going out. They need these players in there while the youngsters are coming in to sort of learn off them, not take the mantle straight away. So it'll be interesting to see what Clarko does. I know he'll have something up his sleeve because he is a genius, but you can be as good as... You can be the best coach in the world. You suddenly can't pull talent out of your backside, and and I'll take it back to last week, you go across the Nullarbor to the US of A and and the Patriots, Bill Belichick, widely regarded as the best coach in the history of football, they're talking about him like he's some chump because Brady's gone and won a Super Bowl with another team, Uh, so he doesn't have the talent there, partly his fault for being the GM as well, but what's he supposed to do, he can't just coach a bunch of no-hopers to the to the title so i think uh, i think as good as clarko can be he may not be able to do much about this he will get them over across the line in some games where he'll, he'll pull a trick out of his hat and and catch some of the teams with a lesser coaching staff offside but i don't think he's necessarily going to be able to make them fly up the ladder uh where else when we go we've got charlie kerner had knee surgery in November. We're not thinking he'll be back at all for half, if not all, of the season. That That's a big blow. They're talking about Carlton for the eight. Now, they won a lot of games. They showed a lot last year under my man David Teague, the Teague train. I don't know if their additions of Zach Williams and Sard necessarily push them straight into the eight. I think they'll need a lot of improvement within if they're going to take that step. I think the ability is there, but I think they need a little bit more in and under work around Paddy Cripps, who is, for all intents and purposes, an out-and-out star, and yet he's still doing it all on his own. So they need more diversity in through the middle. He needs to be able to sneak forward. needs to be able to sit behind the ball for, for patches to A, alleviate some pressure on him, and B, when you're in a final, when, you, when you're when you playing in those big moments, very rarely does a player come in and just dominate from start to finish. Now, I know there's been an outlier in Dusty Martin, but let's just say there's no other player in the competition like Dustin Martin. So you're not going to have a player who's going to come in start dominating quarter one and keep going all through four quarters. You have players who have absolute blinding purple patches, And what you need is a player to come in and do it for the first quarter, and then someone else is doing it through the second quarter, because everything changes, and teams adapt. And I think that's what Carlton really lack. I don't see Saad or Williams suddenly changing that, but Sam Walsh is obviously a talented youngster. He can step up. There's a lot of talent within that side based on the picks they've had, and I think they should be looking to really, not so much mix things up, mix things up, but had some diversity in the way they're playing next year. And look, their goal should be to play a final as, as a club. I guess you'd say the board's setting a realistic goal for this playing group. As a playing group, they're going to talk like they can win the flag and, and, and that's fine, you've got to believe in it. But a realistic goal is to get in there, play a final, get some experience into these youngsters and then you've got a real platform to really start building. Now, it's way too early to start doing this in in a lot of terms, but I'm just having a look at what is the so-called coaching pressure gauge. Now, I can hear it already, you're telling me, we haven't played a game yet, how is there pressure? My word, there is pressure on coaches. Now, I put together a list three or four weeks ago, and that was more based on past performances, where they're at in their contract, where the club's at from a list point of view in terms of, are they rebuilding? Have they got some young talent in? Where are they sitting? And at the time, I had Leon Cameron and Simon Goodwin as, like, there's pressure building. They need a quick start to the year, or they could just be gone ski by round 11. And I've gone on record as saying, I think Simple Simon Goodwin will be out as Melbourne coach by about round 15, 16 this year. I've got to throw Nathan Buckley now into that because... Obviously when he got the job, Eddie had orchestrated this master plan of having the handover and, and Moulthouse will just ride off into the sunset and will hand over to Buckley and he's a student, become the master and all this sort of stuff. And and that really got turned on its head when Moulthouse won the twenty ten Premiership and went back to the twenty eleven grand final and it's like, All right, see you later. Now Collingwood had that little decline. Buckley really turned over the list, got the players in that he wanted, got them back to the grand final. They've had injuries, they've had a few other things. They won an outstanding, played an outstanding game last year and beat West Coast in a final over there, which I think everyone had written them off for, and then they came and got absolutely pants against Geelong. Buckley was Eddie's boy. Eddie hand-picked him. Like, obviously, Buckley's champion for the Collingwood Football Club and, and will be remembered as such, but Eddie went out and, and made this happen. Eddie's gone, and it may not happen straight away, but... The whole board who sat there with Eddie, they should gradually be turned over as well if Collingwood are serious as a club about dealing with the issues that have been raised, which I don't need to go over any further. If that's the case, if Buckley's not performing, he's being turned over with the board. So if he's performing, no one's going to bat an eyelid at it because it's the way this league works As as... Bad as it is to say, if you're performing on the field and you're getting results, all the other stuff can be overlooked to a point. Now, Jason Ackermanus is probably a good example. Playing early two thousands at Brisbane winning at Brownlow. He was doing all sorts of stupid stuff, but he was performing on the field and the team was going really well. As soon as they started to decline and things went a little bit sour with Lee, he got out of there and went to the dogs. And that was he was supremely talented. Left and right foot could hit you from forty meters away easily, but as soon as the as soon as the wheels start to fall off a little bit, suddenly his antics becoming a more of a distraction than just oh that's how Acker goes, and he found himself out. Now, I don't see any clubs making a rash decision on that anytime soon, but I like to oh, I enjoy doing this exercise because it's very easy to pinpoint say Leon Cameron in round 9 when they get absolutely belted by Geelong in Geelong by 82 points and go oh geez, he's on the hot seat now they're going to fire him anytime soon and it's of course of course they're talking about that now it's easy to point out that the coach is performing poorly now i think there's pressure from inside the clubs now that gws should be up there and winning despite the talent they've lost they still got a lot of talent there and melbourne look, like, we can go over the history here, you had Dean Bailey, and you had two years where you finished just outside the eight, but you weren't going, you weren't rebuilding quick enough, so you sacked him, and brought in Mark neild and, and someone should have fallen on their sword in the selection panel on that, because they couldn't have got that decision more wrong, and within weeks of, it might have been one year later. Mark Neal was talking about the rebuild of the rebuild when they lost by one hundred and thirty points to Essendon in round two, and then they got rid of him, and then they had to bring in Paul Ruse and do a full rebuild, and then start again. And Rusey stayed there for what three years, handed it over to Simon Goodwin, and they've just been you've just you've leveled out. Unfortunately, there's some real talent there. Petrarca could be he could win the Brownlow Medal this year. He'd be one of my top picks for it. Max Gorn best all-round ruckman in the competition I think from every from his tap work to his work around the grounds to his marking if he just kicks some more goals you know his goal kicking seems to let him down on occasions or is it that we remember some of his misses because they were in key moments Um, you know it's hard enough to get the shot sometimes so I cut him some slack there because there are so many moments to a football game that can impact the end result not just that one kick but I I really think there's pressure built there, and as a look from the outside as a fan, if you're not playing finals this year, I'm wanting a new coach. I'm I'm moving him on. Um, as simple as that. Uh, it's hard to make those calls, but that's just the way I see it. Unfortunately, I can't see any coaches under too much other pressure. Uh, I think there's going to be questions at the Dogs if Bevo doesn't really have them firing after bringing in Trelaw and doing everything else because I think there's a lot of talent on that list. They just fluke that 2016 flag with their little uh, dinky style of handball slash throws and, and everything else. Uh, I think Stewie Jew needs a big year. I don't think he's necessarily going to be fired, but they seem to start out hot the Gold Coast and then just wheels fall off and and you don't think much of them after about round six or seven Uh, so there's sort of a couple of the others the rest I don't see too much pressure Uh, I don't know about Ben Rutten and Essendon Uh, sometimes the Essendon fans can be completely delusional uh, and want more and more and more I think this year they're sort of a bit more accepting of look, Danaher's gone we need to plan for our time without him now. It's not a case of, we've got Danaher. if he can just get back and we can get in some form, we can string some games together and play finals. That's out of the question. And I think they might, not so much accept they're not going to win as many games, but be a little bit more understanding if things go that way. And I think most of the other coaches are either senior enough or had a good enough year last year that you'd be mad if you decided, look, we're going to get rid of them. Uh, or, Or we're going to look at Moving on, so I'm going to keep an eye on this and and sort of stay with it over the course of the year and let you know when the pressure starts building, not, I'll probably still tell you, but not after they lose by 90 points in a game that they should have won clearly And, and the questions are being asked in the media and it's doom or gloom all through SEN and talk back all day. All right, I just want to bring you the top five stories that I find most intriguing coming into the 2021 season. So these are things that I think can or may happen, but I'm just so intrigued to sort of see where these end up going. Now, I've sort of briefly discussed one, which was Lance Franklin, and I mean, I'm sort of probably treading over that again, but he has been the greatest forward of the modern era being sort of post two thousand. Nine games in 2019 and didn't play last year. I really want to see him back and firing and any goals he can kick are just sort of a bonus. Um, I'd love to see him get two more years and get to 1,000 goals. That would be an absolutely incredible career. I don't see it happening. But look, there's just about no one more exciting in the modern game than Lance Franklin when he's up and running. So I'll certainly be keeping an eye on, on the happenings up there in Sydney. Number four would be coronavirus in the AFL. I am sceptical we're getting a clean just straight 22-round season at this point. Uh, I expect some cancelled rounds or some shifted games at some point uh, with another festival of footy sunk in there somewhere probably in the middle of winter months, sort of July, you know, sort of June, July, August where you sort of hub some teams up in Queensland and get through you know, in three weeks, get through four to five games per team. Uh, given what's just been happening in Melbourne, I do not know where round one sits. I expect us to come out of this lockdown and everything to be fine and then round one to go ahead, but you just don't know at this point. It's going to be a talking point through the year, mainly negative stuff, unfortunately, but it's the reality reality of the world we live in at this point. Uh, whatever you're doing, you've got to factor coronavirus into it. So i just I hope we just get away the twenty two games and plus finals. If we have to extend through to October, I don't think there's any objections. I think it ultimately worked well for the league finishing a little bit later, but it does put pressure, then getting your draft in, then getting this in, then getting your, your pre season training. Um probably a topic for another day, but I'd look at if you're finishing in October you know, right before that sort of Melbourne Cup time here here in Melbourne. You have your draft, you do everything by December. Players don't have to come back to training till Jan 2nd. Like, let's, let's give them a bigger break. Let's not put so much wear and tear on these people. Like, they're people, they're not machines, they're not robots, they are people, and give them some time off uh, from being a full-time 24-7 professional. It's different, I just see it a little bit differently to, to the regular, the average Joe where, yes, I work full-time but I finish at five o'clock, I knock off. I don't work on the weekend whereas these guys are traveling, they're doing all sorts of stuff. I think they deserve that time off and I don't think the extra training in at the club is actually going to help the teams. It might be radical if I was running a team, I'd, I'd try and work out a way to, to sort of move that on. Now, number three... I want to see what Brisbane do this year. They were sort of... I reckon they've been everyone's second team for the past couple of years, given they they had to go home five, they were down on their luck, they couldn't bring anyone in. Suddenly, Chris Fagan's gone up there and just absolutely turned that club around. I could not speak more highly of him, and I'm really glad North nabbed David Noble from up there. I'm hoping he can do something similar. But, unfortunately, they've played four finals and gone one and three in those finals. So... Now's the time. You, you only get so many chances where you're winning all these games. They could... This go-home thing could suddenly come back for for whatever reason and they could lose some talent next year. They need to capitalise. They should be looking at their list like, right, we've got some big game experience. We played in a prelim last year. We've won 16, 15 games the last couple of years. We should be winning a prelim. We should be playing off in the grand final and, and as you know, once you get there, anything can happen. So... I'm keen to see where they end up, what they change uh, in terms of how they're actually going to get themselves taken that next step. You may not see it through the year so much. Um, part of a regular season of the AFL is literally just getting yourself into that spot for the top four and a double chance and doing some things along the way, but their season really will begin week one of the finals. Um you know, so they've got to get themselves there and then uh, I'm intrigued. I I can see them winning it all. I can see them missing me the eight as well. Um, I've got to respect the last couple of years, which is why I did have them in the top four, but I can see a scenario where they just don't click and don't mesh and, and drop right off. Uh it's footy, that's what happens. Number two, and we're starting to get to sort of the top teams of the of the, the comp. Geelong. They are all in. They sat down and they sort of looked around the table and gone, oh, right, yeah, no, we just, just got beat beat in the grand final, Richmond. That hurts. That hurts. All right, let's get every single chip we have. I reckon they've got every single penny in the town of Geelong and they've just pushed their chips to the middle of the table and said, we are all in. If you can beat us, good on you. But we've traded three first-round picks for Jeremy Cameron, stuffed the draft.'" You know, it served us so well over the years, and now we're going to give a giant middle finger to it, and just we'll bring in Jezza. Mind you, they had the extra picks from the a couple of extras from the the Kelly trade. They've brought in Isaac Smith, who isn't getting any younger, but great outside runner. And Sean Higgins is in the same boat. Classy footballer, but uh, he's not. He's he's on the he's on the back half of the back nine, you would say, in terms of his career. I think they'll win the flag. They'd be my, they're my pick pre they're my pick right now they're going to win enough games they're going to win 16 games they're going to be top two they've got the firepower to beat every team in the competition health is obviously the biggest caveat but if Dustin Martin's hurt the last couple of years the Richmond win the flag probably not so you know if wishes were fishes you know it it goes without saying that if 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 doesn't matter here but health health can derail anything so Geelong are, I think they're the team to beat, they've got to again do the work, I don't think Gary Ablett is that big of a loss on the field, I think spiritually yes, but in terms of actual on-field performance, I think you can get someone to play 80% of that, what they can't do is the intangible of, oh Jesus, Gary Ablett, I'm not going to leave him standing there on his own, I'm going to go to him, that sort of stuff can't be replaced, but Jeremy Cameron you gotta put someone you gotta put someone on Hawkins and gotta put someone on Cameron and then you gotta have someone else ready to come in and help because they're just two man mountains. That's four defenders. You ain't you only got six at the first centre bounce. So Geelong small forwards, first goal, that's where I'm in every game Geelong go, I'll be having a little something on one of those Grime Myers types, you know, who are sitting up forward and just they're just gonna crumb these these um these inside fifties and and just kick snags, so uh, Geelong should be right there in the finish. We'll see who's right on that. We'll revisit. We'll definitely revisit Geelong depending on where they finish. Whether Tom got it right calling seventh or me first, they'll probably finish fourth playing a prelim, and and we'll see. But we'll definitely revisit that. Now number one pains me to say this. I really enjoyed the 2013 to 2015 era Richmond where they finally got to the finals and just laid donuts. But will Richmond go down as the greatest team of the AFL era? If they win this year, it is very difficult to argue otherwise. That is four flags in five years. Three in a row as part of that. I can certainly see a scenario where they're winning it all. They've got Dusty. Whatever he's doing, he just comes out in finals and plays big games. I've never seen anything like it in the AFL. So... If if Richmond can get it done, I I find it hard-pressed to argue that it's Hawthorne and Brisbane. Now, people might say Geelong, but Geelong never went back-to-back, back and that's hard to do, but they never did it, so i I peg them back a rank for that. Brisbane arguably could have won four in a row if they were allowed to play a preliminary final at home in 2004, where they deserved it, but it didn't. they lost the week after against Port at the MCG, so... They won three in a row, but Richmond could win four in five years. Like, you understand there are clubs like mine who have won four in, well, we're closing in on 100 years in the AFL. There are other clubs who have won less. Like, four in five is amazing. And when you think about how much of a basket case they were sort of uh, late, two thousands, early twenty tens, even when they played those finals, gee, they carried on and they lost to Richmond who finished ninth and then you know Cochin kicked into the wind against Port and that was all she wrote and then they played us and they played us the week before and Brad Scott rested half his half the team and we were still within a couple of goals at half time. They blew us out of the water and then we came back the week after and belted them. And then suddenly they fell out of the eight. The board did a full internal review and decided, no, Dimmer, you're our man. Your coaching staff's gone. We're going to come in and replace them. But you're our man. We're sticking with you. And they went on and won the flag the following year. It was amazing. They seemed like a basket case of a team where, and I've seen it happen, they get some talent in and they finally make the finals. And then they think, oh, well, we've made the finals. We're just going to take that next step. And they never do because they just don't really get what it takes. And I thought that was Richmond. And I read it wrong, and, and if they win four and five, the talk will start they the best team of the modern era. The, I call caught the AFL era, 90s onwards. And I say yes, they are, if they win the fourth. If they've only won three in four years, that probably comes back to a, to the, the discussion of Brisbane Hawthorne. And I would say the other teams winning three in a row is a bigger feat. Hawthorne obviously have the two thousand and eight flag, but that's what six years removed from the twenty thirteen the next one. So almost two different teams in a way, given that the rate lists change. But this discussion will start happening when Richmond are playing in a preliminary final. Or, you know. This is how this is when we're gonna put on the agenda. Well, I'm putting it on there now. So keep that in mind when when Everyone else starts talking about it. We talked about it first here on 12 Rows Back. That brings us to a close here on episode two. Not quite the same without my good running mate, Tom. Uh, good luck on your big day again, Tom. Uh, and you can save that 13-point plan as to how the Saints are going to win the 2021 and 22 flags for a later podcast episode. Uh, thanks again for listening. If you can follow, uh, follow the podcast... Leave a review on iTunes. Uh, Follow us on social media at 12 Rows Back, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, anywhere you can find us. Uh, We'll be engaging a lot this year, putting up some content, uh, doing polls, all that sort of stuff. So if you've got the time, please give us a follow. Uh, Love to interact and hear your thoughts on our lists. Um, Basically, anything footy related or even general sports. We just love talking with the fans, with other people about the great game Uh, stay safe and have a great week